Have you ever cared so much about sports that you give money to clear your team's good name or feel personally cheated by a tie score? Me too, and I hate that. I'm Sports Channel 8's Ben Swain. We're on Raleigh and Company, and I hate sports. is Bradley Bethel, who has been kind enough to join me today to talk about this film. Uh, Bradley, welcome to the show. This is our very first one. You're actually our very first guest. So thank you for coming on. So let's just jump right into it. Like, tell me some of the background. I'm interested in how you came about to uh, making this film. So when did you decide to make this particular film? So I, I got the inspiration for it and, and I said I, I think I really should do this at the Full Frame Film Festival a couple of years ago when I saw the the documentary Happy Valley, which was about the Penn State scandal. And the the film finished and I leaned over to my wife and I said, I'm gonna do something like that about the UNC scandal. And and that was it. And and at the time I had I had been blogging about it and my blog uh, became way more popular than I ever thought it would be. And, um, and I was a documentary film lover and, and it just seemed like a good topic for a documentary film. And, and so over the next few months, I put a team of people together who actually knew how to make a film because I didn't, there, there, there's a big difference between loving film and knowing how to do it. And so I knew I needed to surround myself with people who knew how to do it. And I was able to do that, and and now here we are. Uh, we're nearing the end of of production for the film, and hoping it'll come out later this fall. So let's let's back up. So yeah. you again, you were blogging about the the UNT scandal well before you went to full frame and saw Happy Valley. What drew mm-hmm. you to the UNC scandal as a story, just in general? So I was working at UNC in academic support for student athletes and and I loved the job and I was surrounded by people who were really committed to educating student athletes you know none of us who were in that job were there because we were big sports fans now all of us liked sports but all of us were educators I I was an English teacher before I got into this field and I really wanted to work with students um, from disadvantaged backgrounds. And it was the same for, for a lot of my colleagues. They had come from an educational background, and that's why they did what they, what they were doing. And, and it, so I saw the way the scandal was unfolding or had been unfolding in the news media, and I just felt like it was very sensationalized and it misrepresented the work that my colleagues had done. I, you know, because I, I got to UNC in the fall of 2011, I wasn't at UNC when the infamous paper classes happened. So I wasn't implicated in, in anything, in any part of the scandal, but my colleagues who I'd come to really admire um, and, and respect, they were implicated and I didn't think it was fair. And so, so that's why I started blogging and eventually decided to do documentary. And the documentary it's really allowing the people who were there to tell their side of the story. The subtitle of the documentary is, is going to be um, either the 
unheard story behind the UNC scandal or the untold story behind the UNC scandal. And that's what we're really hoping to get is, is you've been hearing about it, you've been reading about it, but here's the side from the people who were actually there. So, so just to provide some context, you're working in uh, academic support for student athletes. Um, understanding that you can't tell me who you worked with, but did you work with any particular sports or was it just anyone in general? I worked with primarily football. Okay. Um, I, I worked also a little bit with women's basketball and occasionally some other sports, but it was primarily football. Okay. So, so really, um, I think one uh, big, now I'm hearing a misconception out there, is that you are <laughs> a UNC fan that is driving this. But really, the, the story that you're trying to tell is the story of academic support in general, and the work that they do, um, that really hasn't been covered in the media. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Appreciate you, you you're pointing that out. You know, I didn't go to UNC. I'm not from North Carolina. I'm not a basketball fan. Um, so, you know, this has never been about defending banners for me. Uh, this is about people who, who I feel have been misrepresented in in. And unfortunately, it just seems like so often the the news media and trying to tell a sensational story ends up kind of dehumanizing the people involved. And so I want to try to to humanize them, to 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 show the world that, look, there are, there are human people here, good people who are doing good things. And they have a story to tell that you haven't heard before. And and I think will really change the way you look at the situation at UNC. Got it. So the, 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 the people who have another untold story, and that's the story that I, I'm trying to tell with this show here um, <laughs> and, and what I want to get to is, uh, let's say you raised a considerable amount of money to finance this mm-hmm. film. Tell me about that process. How did that work? How did you go about getting financial backing? So we launched a Kickstarter campaign um, and making a documentary film is not cheap. Ma- making a film, period, is, is not cheap. And even our budget is low by, by filmmak- filmmaking standards. We raised $142,000, and that's still considered a low-budget film. Um, and, you know, really, we just we put the Kickstarter out there, and there had already been uh, a, a number of UNC fans and, um, that had been following my blog. I mean, my blog had gotten very popular, especially among UNC fans. And so, I mean, it was really remarkable. I'll, I'll tell you, I actually feel bad telling the story to other filmmakers because no, I don't know any filmmaker whose first film you know, had $142,000 to play with. I mean, it was just, it's just crazy. And, and, and so I, I mean, obviously there are a lot of UNC fans who do want the banners protected, who, you know, who are, who are hoping that this film will, will, you know, fight back against NCAA accusations and, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, and the film will, will in a way do that. But again, for me, it's, it's sort of this ironic position that I'm in, that it's, it's not about that. It's really about the people who were involved in telling their side of the story. So while um, the film itself is, again, the untold story of academic support and the, the people involved in that, 
your um, your your backers are really putting money into the project in in hopes that it's uh, you know a, a pro voice of UNC in this whole NCAA discussion. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And and, and the film will be incidentally. It, it will. Um, I mean, my thesis in my blogging and, you know, and anything I've done publicly before and in the film is that the whole scandal, it was not an athletics driven scandal. It was not, it was not athletics corruption that was behind it. And for me, that matters. That's very important to me because when people call it athletics corruption, they're making an accusation against the people who I care about. Um, for other people, it's important that it's not athletics corruption because they want to to you know protect UNC's athletic repu- reputation. Um, so you know, somewhat different motivations, but I think you know the goal in the end is going to be similar. It's going to be, uh, frankly, again, a case that this was not athletics corruption. That's a great point because when I when I hear athletics corruption or athletic scandal, I'm thinking head coaches, I'm thinking assistant coaches, mm. but when you hear athletic scandal, you're thinking academic support, which is a part of athletics. Yeah, I mean, at least that's that's kind of what has happened with the narrative around what happened at UNC is because there was no there were no coaches involved. There was no evidence that coaches or athletics administrators were were driving, you know, these paper classes what what the news media had to do is is pin it on somebody else connected to athletics in order to turn it into an athletics scandal. I mean, it's interesting. Recently, it came out that Auburn uh, at, at Auburn University, the athletics department. Yeah, so I, I definitely don't want to get too down. Yeah, into yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I don't know if you I don't know if you know this, but it's being covered pretty pretty uh, heartily by, by the media. So I, I don't think I need to join in my voice into that. <laughs> right, right, uh, right, right. I'm more interested in the film and, and uh, that yeah. was, you know, really good information about the, the backers. Cause I was interested in that. Let's talk about who's in the film. Um, are there any, uh, you, you know, you, you mentioned UNC fans being backers of it. Are there any UNC fans or, or um, UNC apologists or anything like that that are really eager to be a part of the film? Um, well, I mean, you know, I suppose it depends on who's, who's choosing the label apologist. I mean, people would say I'm a UNC apologist. So, you know, if, if, if that's what people think, then the answer is yes. Uh, but I mean, let's use your definition because (laughs) we've established you as an apologist for, uh, academic support professionals. Yeah, so let's leave yeah, it at that. Yeah. I'm talking about uh, people who are, you know, true blue UNC fans that are like, yeah, I love what you're doing. It's it's a counter voice to what everything that's out there. I want to get involved. Put me in front of the camera. Did you have any of that going oh, on? Oh no, no, definitely not. No, the the people I interviewed were were academic staff, obviously. Um, some. Some well, I should say former former academic staff, some former athletics administrators, um, some former coaches, former athletes themselves from UNC. Um, also interviewed um, some some media personalities. Um, I don't want to say all of them because I 
I wanted it to be kind of a surprise, you know, for the film. Uh, understand. We're not, <laughs> yeah. trying, to, we're not trying to break any um, yeah, yeah. of your sales here. Um, but yeah, but some media personalities. Um, and so, you know, so having a sort of UNC fans or, or whatever apologists in the film didn't, wouldn't really serve the purpose because the purpose is to tell, um, you know, like I said, to tell the story that people don't know right now. So and, when, and, when, when people see the film, since, since you made a good point there, when people see the film, what do you want them to walk out of the, the viewing feeling? I want them to feel like, man, the news media really got this story wrong. And, uh, you know, maybe, look, here's, the th- here's what I'll say. I'm not pretending in this film to be like this objective journalist without opinion. One of the things about documentary film is that documentary filmmakers have a perspective and they put that perspective out there. And, and so, you know, I'm not even necessarily claiming though that what I'm saying is the objective truth. I think objective truth is really hard to get at. Um, but what I'm offering is another perspective, a different perspective, a perspective that'll challenge what's out there. And so that's what I hope people will will come away with is man that was really compelling the news media got this wrong whether whether we can really know all the facts and all the details maybe we can't but the news media certainly didn't get this this right and and i really hope that it will raise people's awareness about how the news media works that that we live in a society where news media is driven by by clicks by money and to get the by by winning awards uh, somebody once said you know look you got to understand journalists it's not that they want money what they want is awards they want the prestige you know and, and you get that by telling the the sexiest story the most controversial story and so you know the whole th- the whole process and experience for me has has made me question the news media more and not in like some conspiratorial, you know, conspiratorial way. It's, it's not that I think you know, there's like an Illuminati behind the media trying to control our minds or anything like that. It's just more like the, the news media that we encounter is so often these, this big corporate entities and there's a lot of money on the line and, you know, we really need to think skeptically about what we consume. And so, in this case, Oh, go ahead. So, on the, on that point, I've got a question for you because you mentioned you mentioned yeah. before how much money you raised and and how how easy it was to drum up mm-hmm. support because you've got a, a, a fan base eager to have a counter voice of, of what's out yeah. there. So you know, demonizing the media for being um, <laughs> you know hungry for clicks and hungry for for page views. Is that any different than making a movie about a scandal that is such a hot topic that people will throw money at just to have the story out there being told? Oh, that's a great question. That's a really great question. Um, I, I don't think the film, we don't demonize the, uh, the media. Now, maybe I am right now. <laughs> and so, so, you know, maybe that's a fair criticism that in, in what I'm saying right now is, is to an extent demonizing the film the the media rather but the film is not so much a a direct attack on the media it's more like we're going to let the um 
the story speak for itself, and in so doing, it's going to raise questions um, about the media. But so, do you think? Uh, do you think those questions will be raised to people who don't already have those questions? Like, is is there a feeling that the people who are going to go see your film are ones who are who are like minded of the people who backed your film? Right, like these are people who are eager to hear a counter voice for what's in the media, or do you really feel like you're going to be changing people's minds? Well, I think there's no doubt that the first people who see the film are going to be the people who already agree with me. There's no doubt about that. But my goal all along has been to, to make a film that will be interesting to others so that other people beyond that, will will see the film, will be interested in the film, and will walk away. And it's not even I, I think that a filmmaker who sets out to get the audience to completely agree with him is is delusional. <laughs> you know, I don't think that that anybody or that that people who see the film, you know, that, that they're just gonna at the end say, well Brad Bradley Bethel is right about everything. Um, there's just no way to accomplish that. But if I, if, if I can get people who, who don't have a strong opinion, kind of the people in the middle, I mean, there, there are the people, the, the, the UNC apologists who already agree with me and are going to agree with me. There are the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are the, the ABCers, the, the NC, the, 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 the state fans, they're the state fans who just, Want uh, want UNC to crash and burn, and nothing I say is going to convince them. And then there's the, all these people in in the middle, and I hope the film will be appealing to them. And I hope that again, I don't expect them to agree with me on everything, but I hope they will walk away and say that was a compelling story. It's a much different story than what the news media has given us, and and I think the news media got it wrong, or at least got some aspects significantly so, uh, wrong. I do, I do want to point out one thing that, that you, um, that you put on Twitter that kind of piqued my interest, uh, I'll admit <laughs> is, is, um, there was a, a recent story and it may have been an editorial, uh, cause I, I full disclosure, I did, I did not read it, but, uh-huh. uh, a piece of journalism from the daily Tar Heel and your response was, I was, you know, wavering oh, on yeah. whether or not to include them, and this, you know, this this made up my mind that they're not going to be there for the, for the opening. Was that a joke, or are you really keeping <laughs> media that you perceive to be counter to what you're trying to put out in your in your film that you're keeping them out? That's a great question. For the most part, it will be open to the media. Um, it definitely won't be open to the NNO. Because the NNO, I, I do believe, has a very clear agenda and, and has invested a lot in, in making the narrative what it is. And there's just, um, there's just no way that the, the NNO – I don't believe the NNO has the capacity to look at something fairly. Uh, you know, when it comes to – I should say it has, it has the capacity to look at this story fairly. Um, the Daily Tar Heel seems to be a little a mini NNO, and um, you know, and so I'm I'm skeptical of the Daily Tar Heel. Now, you know, we'll see about the Daily Tar Heel, but ever, for everyone else, there there will be a wide uh, 
press. There will be lots of press invited to the premiere. Uh, just, just real quick before we go, give us give us some details. When is it coming out? When when can people see it? Etc. What, what's the next story we're going to hear about Unverified? So, um, I don't want to give an exact date now. We we have a target date. Uh, but what I can say is it's, it, our target date is later this fall, and we hope to have a, a uh, limited uh, release in limited theaters around the state. That'll be the first way we get it to people, and, and then there will be a, a gradual distribution plan after that that in, involves um, most likely going from a few theaters around the state to making it available on DVD, and then, and then uh, at some point soon making it available online, you know, via, via some platform. We don't have the exact platform identified. Um, I mean, we have, we have some ideas, but, but I don't want to say specifically what those are, but it, it will be the, the goal is to release it later this fall in theaters. And by the end of the year, um, to have it available to everyone on, on an online platform. by Patrick Stevens, who is, uh, if I'm making a top five list of my favorite ACC people, uh, he, he's definitely there. Um, he has been everywhere. He's the smartest guy I know. Anytime I have a question about anything related to ACC history, I go directly to Patrick. So thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have you, my man. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ben. Anytime, anytime. So again, the concept of this show we're talking about crazy things that fans do and, and what, what that craziness drives. And we, you know, we always think about that as being a product of the internet age, but Patrick, you and I found an example from 1930 where fans were a little crazy, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you had a, yeah, you had Carolina and Duke playing scoreless ties in back-to-back seasons in 1930 and 1931. Uh, and so basically, uh, there were, uh, there was a, a push to create a fake game, essentially. Like they wanted, they wanted a second game and instead of actually having players, they had sort of a radio drama instead which was which is just fascinating. It's sort of a War of the Worlds Orson <laughs> Welles type thing, except with sports, and except you know n- probably no one would believe that North Carolina and Duke would be playing a thirty-three all tie uh, in the Depression era. Uh, I mean, that's not what I mean. That's not what Depression era football was like at all. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it was not. But let's let's give a little bit more detail here. So again, like, as you mentioned, in 1930 and 1931, back to back scoreless ties between Duke and, and North Carolina. The second of which in 1931 was played in a monsoon that caused just terrible football, zero zero finish, uh, and actually Duke ended up winning the the Big Five trophy that that year because of this. Uh, so as you mentioned, fans took to the newspapers and the radios and voiced their displeasure with 
the uh, feeling cheated of a good game, and they demanded that another game be played. And as Patrick just mentioned, the teams were not against it. And, uh, and Patrick, did you read why the teams were not against it? I thought this is topical. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was more because of exams than anything right. else. So, yeah, UNC did not want to miss class to play football in 1930, which uh, I guess that puts a, a bookend on that scandal, right? Um, <laughs> so, so the game was not played, but as Patrick mentioned, uh, WPTF radio here in the Triangle did a fake broadcast of the game and actually sold tickets and raised money for, for charity uh, for that. So fans have been crazy for at least 85 years. Well, you know, if we brought this into the modern age, um, can you imagine, you know, you think about Carolina and Duke and, and I haven't looked up the exact records for each of those teams in that particular season, but that's not exactly, uh, that's not exactly your 8 PM ABC game the last week of the season. <laughs> Uh, and so imagine if we applied this to basketball, which people actually care about in the ACC. Can you imagine if we just did a fake Florida State Clemson basketball game and just didn't have to watch it? <laughs> isn't, that the, like, isn't that Tuesday in the ACC tournament? Isn't that situation like that is? For, for many, many years, it was Thursday in the ACC tournament. <laughs> uh, but but can, you, uh, you know, can you imagine, uh, I don't know, like – a, a Georgia Tech Boston College game getting shipped over to that. Although they've actually played some fun games, just I mean, not great games, but but close games and, and entertaining games uh, in recent years. But that that's sort of uh, sort of bizarre. I mean, I, you, we can certainly come up with some games this season uh, that you know it would be uh, you know by popular demand we forego the playing of this contest. So could we could we do a social experiment and 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 uh, while UNC and South Carolina are playing and Duke and, and Tulane are, are playing and I believe Wake plays that night as well. I don't know when this is going to air, so those games may have already happened in the past. But uh, a social experiment where you and I start live tweeting a Syracuse game that's not being played and see if anybody catches on and, and starts talking about it on Twitter. I was going to say Wake Forest, given uh, <laughs> given where it's at, or Virginia, just based on the number of people that right. show up as empty seats at Scott Stadium. <laughs> um, at least right now, anyway. But uh, I was just gonna I was just gonna say, how about week two with uh, with Wake Forest and Syracuse? Just just tweet a fake game at the same time the real one's going on. <laughs> which which one would be better? And, and see if anyone knows that our game is. Well, if it, if it were thirty three thirty three, or if we tweeted out. Uh, well, Wade, that, I mean Wade that's Grand impossible for, with those teams. <laughs> that would. I mean, not, we, that we'd be, be here all season waiting for them to get to that. Uh, so so you, back to back to the nineteen thirty one game. Your contention is that the score, the thirty three thirty three game, gave it away that it was that it was fake. Is that is that right? Yes. Uh, it's a it's a. Interesting. Looking through the records of that series, that uh, the, those sixty-six points, even today, would be tied for the eighth most points combined in a game between Duke and Carolina in series history. And not only that, the uh, the only one of those other eight games that would be it would be tied or 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 would be higher than that. Um, the the most the oldest of that bunch was in nineteen sixty-six. So what was, what was the score of that game? Uh, let's see. I, I had it I'll here a, a second ago. I didn't. I didn't actually. Uh, <laughs> but 
but it was uh, 41-25, a victory for, uh, for Duke. In, in 1966. In 1966. Uh, would, would by, by the way, games? by the way, worth noting that that North Carolina team uh, scored 90 points in, in 10 games all season. So even then, the idea of their actually being 66 points in a game was still a little unusual. Two games, you might miss a UNC score. <laughs> so, uh, talking about today's ACC, can you imagine a game finishing zero zero today in today's ACC? Well, there was a game that finished zero zero, at least in regulation last year. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it take will, a lot of imagination, and it will never be forgotten. I mean, you just ever. have to you just have to raise your hands in triumph as a logo is slapped over it on the broadcast. <laughs> Is that the greatest photo or screen cap in ACC history? It's pretty tremendous. I mean, <laughs> and the funny thing is, I was I was watching that game. I was watching that game in some basketball arena, and I missed I missed that particular moment. Like I I was kind of laughing off the whole zero zero thing, but missed the whole the whole moment of the ecstasy of of heading to overtime in a scoreless tie. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's uh, that's the answer to that one. It, it, it definitely could happen. Uh, it, it, you know, mentioning Syracuse Wake Forest earlier, uh, there's a very real chance that that's going to be a a low scoring game. Uh, come, uh, I guess it's the second week of the season. So, Patrick, give me your uh, three or more. I'll, I'll put I'll put a cap at three. But if you want to go more than that, that's that's great. But give me at least three. ACC games where fans would have been justified demanding a replay to radio, newspapers, internet, etc. Well, I mean, I almost could come up with uh, three from North Carolina's 2006 season by itself. Um, But I'll stick to only two from that season. Uh, They played, this is a game that had Calvin Johnson, Tashard Choice, and Hakeem Nix in it. It it also had Reggie Ball and Joe Daly as quarterbacks, too. (laughs) So there is mitigating circumstances there. Uh, but they played it to a 7 nothing game. With those, with those players on the field. With those players on the field. Tashard Choice had a touchdown run, accounting for the, the only score of the game. Uh, and this was in 06 in Georgia Tech. Uh, at the peak of the Chan Gailey era, uh, escapes with a 7 nothing victory uh, over a North Carolina team that had uh, – that had fired John Bunting effective the end of the season a few weeks earlier, or he had resigned, or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, and the game that had brought that on was a Thursday night game between Carolina, which went into it, uh, I believe they were 1-5 heading into this game at Virginia. Uh, and Virginia, for its part, uh, was 2-5, and five, with uh, an over a one point overtime victory over Wyoming and a seven point home loss to Western Michigan, and this was a Thursday night game. Um, Virginia went on to win that twenty three nothing. So that would that would be near near the top of my list, and that's not even the worst Virginia North Carolina game I could come up with, because they played a seven to five game the year before. <laughs> seven to five. Seven to five. Uh, <laughs> Uh, 
Al Groh, um, <laughs> seven to five North Carolina with a victory over a ranked Virginia team at that point. Uh, and then another game I would point out, another Thursday night game, uh, going back to 2003, uh, Maryland was at Georgia Tech. Scott McBrien got hurt, and it turned into a, it turned into a mess uh, as Maryland actually absorbed one of its only two conference losses that season, seven to three. So those are those are a few that stand out beyond you know the obvious Virginia Tech weight game from last year. Uh, and, and in fairness, I kind of left off pretty much any Duke game from about 1996 until 2007. Just. You know, it's almost unfair to even include that. So. Having been to every home game during that stretch, there's not one single game I'd want to relive uh, <laughs> as a fan. So I'm fine that those ended and and stayed in the past. I, I don't I don't want any replays there. I, I will say one of the more noteworthy Duke scores uh, was a 17 to two loss at Georgia Tech in 2002. <laughs> that 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 stood out a little bit, but. Uh, I, but overall, I thought that that was unfair picking on that. I, I don't even remember, and, and you probably have it there uh, in in your notes somewhere or in your mind somewhere. But I, I do remember the uh, Duke at Notre Dame NBC game, where both teams had one win in November, I believe. Uh, I, I I believe that was the three and nine Notre Dame year. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, uh, it was 2007. It was uh, it was uh, the penultimate game uh, for for one Ted Roof. <laughs> I think it featured like seven fumbles, and it was just a disgusting game. Uh, but if it had not been on on TV, I might have wanted that one uh, to be replayed because I did not believe that uh, that game ended the way that it did. Twenty-eight <laughs> seven Notre Dame. <laughs> there you go. So, Patrick, it is absolutely amazing taking a trip down the memory lane at, at all of the uh, the zero zero or of the like games that ACC fans even care enough to to do crazy things like we continue to do. And perhaps uh, somebody can just do that for the entire uh, Syracuse schedule this year. <laughs> you know, I mean, like. <laughs> Wake Forest possibly too. In fairness, I think both of those teams are are going to struggle. But I, I tend to think, particularly with a Syracuse team that isn't nearly as young as Wake's, um, that that a, a fake season would be more entertaining than than whatever is to come here in the coming weeks. I'm sh- I'm sure our friends at uh, Nunez is an absolute magician would uh, be happy to write a fake season for, for Syracuse. They're, they're good at that sort of thing. So maybe, I, maybe that'll I, be a feature for the next show. And per, maybe so. I mean, maybe, maybe <laughs> you know, the best part though is, is to actually get, and I, I'm not picking on Syracuse here particularly, but let's, let's say an average, uh, it, it's sort of the internet message board, uh, preseason optimism post, uh, where a, a fan of a downtrodden team that's going to probably win three or four games, uh, goes through the schedule and finds a, a reason to argue that they're going to go ten and two. God bless them, though, right? And I mean, then, we, and then, an even crazier fan says, "How can you be so pessimistic?" <laughs> if you don't have optimism, Patrick, what do you have? I'm not the right person to be asking that question of. <laughs> I can promise you that. <laughs> Well, I, I will. 
I will go back and make sure to tell that story to my Duke fan friends who are pulling their hair out over people predicting them to only win seven games this year. For what it's worth, I have the Dukies at eight and four this year. It's a down year. It's a down year. <laughs> well, maybe they get that elusive bowl victory this season. Maybe. It's been a while. Or maybe we'll do a fake uh, bowl game. East Carolina already did that, though. They, they already had a virtual bowl that they sold tickets for. So maybe Oof. that's the wave of the future. Did they do that before or after their quarterback's injury this year? Uh, this was this was real. This happened, uh, I want to say, five or six years ago. It was a year really? that they did not make a bowl. And so what the school did was they sold tickets to the virtual bowl uh, as a way of demonstrating that, hey, our team didn't go to a bowl, but our fans will buy tickets. So, mm-hmm. so next year we are eligible. You're going to take us in a good bowl. Interesting. Um, I don't remember that, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, look it up. It was it was uh, definitely a, a interesting marketing campaign that, that drew some some snickers. But it's a good idea, right? Well, um, you know, I mean, I've been you know I've been to Greenville once for a for a game, and, and I, I covered the military bowl when they played when they played Maryland in 2010. I mean, that's a great fan base. Yeah, that's a great fan base. And I don't. And, I, and as much as we've been yucking it up here, I'm not kidding when I say that. I think that's a, a tremendous fan base. No, I think it's by, by far the most uh, traditional football fan base in North Carolina. I'll say that much. I could buy that. Which I mean, it's not saying much, but you know, I could buy that. <laughs> I don't know. Davis, I kind of, I kind of struggle a little bit with, with NC State because you know they obviously don't have like any sort of much high-end success, the, the 110 win season in there. But I always feel like they're in that most of the time, obviously not like Chuck Amato's last year and stuff like that or Dave Doran's first year, but always feel like they're right in the mix and just competitive enough to you know get everybody's hopes up and, and, and be a pain for teams to have to face. Maybe that's just a, maybe that's just a perception from afar. No, I'm I'm with you, and I, I think that's a great topic for for another time because I, I think a lot of it stems from football as being their way of getting a one up on Duke and UNC uh, since it hasn't been that way during basketball, and, and I think that's kind of manifested itself in a in a football culture. But that's my that's my hypothesis. We'll we'll talk about that some other time. That's a that's a long long twisted uh trail to get into the mind of state fans patrick and and, uh, and i i have a pretty good working relationship with state fans at this point and i probably would be wise to try to keep it that way too